everybody, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is June 27th, 2018. It is the Wednesday after the Utah Open, which was a fantastic event run by Jade Sewell and Team Utah. The next Pro Tour event is not this weekend, but is next weekend uh, in Kensington, uh, Michigan, at, uh, in Milford, Michigan, at the Kensington Metro Parks, and that is the Discraft Great Lakes Open. So, Today, we've got an action-packed show for you. Uh, we're going to start it off with a conversation with Paul Ulibarri uh, about tour life now versus 10 years ago. He started playing uh, touring for real back in 2007, 2008. Uh, we will then recap the Utah Open, go over our power rankings and tour standings, and then uh, go through the Pro Tour News of the Week. And then we'll close it up with listener questions and my pod my my choice of podcast for the week that uh, I think you should give a listen to. But before we get to any of that, um, I have to say I was born in Wichita Falls, Texas. I've I've been a Cowboys fan my entire life. Uh, I was reminiscing about Troy Aikman's rookie season recently uh, at the Utah Open with a, a friend who is in fact a Redskins fan. Uh, in Troy Aikman's rookie season, the Cowboys went 1-15, and as usual, the one team they managed to beat was the Washington Redskins. Uh, in that one win, in a 1-15 season, uh, Jimmy Johnson made an insane number of crazy calls, like going forward on fourth down multiple times, doing a fake punt. There might have been a fake field goal in there. He threw everything at him just to just to give his team a chance. And uh, especially in going for it on fourth down, I think that they had a two or three point lead and there was a minute or so left and they went for it on fourth down. And it wasn't a necessarily a short, short, like it wasn't a fourth and an inch. It was fourth and four. And, uh, and after the game, they asked him, why in the world would you do that? Why would you put the game on the line and not just punt the ball away and, and try to win it when the other team has the ball and just stop them. And he said, I'd rather take the game by the horns and win it than hope the other team loses it. He'd rather be in control of the destiny. Now, he also didn't have anything to lose. He's probably 0-12 at the time. So he had to throw everything at him because otherwise he's going to lose because they're an 0-14 for team. So, but at that, that one moment, he said, I want to be in control. And the reason I bring up that story is uh, Ricky Wysocki made a crazy putt on hole 16 on the third day of the Utah Open. I don't know. I presume everybody's seen this. And it was a head scratcher for me because he's up by two or three. It's late. Uh, many of us felt that he could have laid it up and still had plenty of room in his, for his victory. Um, I talked with Ricky and he said that a two-stroke lead is not big enough going into that hole 18. One, one slip and you're OB, and next thing you know, you're getting a bogey, the other guy's getting a bogey, and it's all a, the other guy's getting a birdie, and it's all tied up. He said he wanted to be in control. And the way you do that is just like Jimmy Johnson did in that 1-15 win over the Redskins. You take the bowl by the horns, you nail a 70-footer on a green that's surrounded by OB, and he did. And he took home his second Utah Open victory as well. So more on that later. But uh, it was really interesting uh, talking to him after the round and saying, why in the world did you not lay that up? 
And, uh, and he said, I wanted to win the tournament. I didn't want other people to not lose. I didn't want other people to lose it. And, uh, and so win it, he did. Well done, Ricky. Enough said on that topic. So with that, I have a pre-recorded interview with Paul Yulabari. Hello, everyone. I am now joined by Paul Yulabari, uh, who has been touring since 2007. That's 12 years. Hello there, Paul. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me, Steve. Absolutely. Uh, as as a touring pro and a road warrior, uh, your opinion on this next topic is is especially pertinent. Um, so, Paul, over the last dozen years, do you have any idea how many events you've played? You know, I haven't added it up, but I'm I'm sure probably over over 400 events easily. I'm guessing. Yeah, it seems like uh, you've been playing. I would say at least 40 events, maybe more uh, per year for the last 10 years or so. Uh, did you slack off any last year and do less than 40? I don't think so. I think I okay. I think I want to every year. I, I I feel like I want to do less tournaments, but then it ends up averaging out about 40 a year. <laughs> you want to take some vacation time and you just can't help yourself. Um, well, the sport is richer for having you in it, and we all say thank you. Um, I'd love to chat about how disc golf is doing regarding the touring pro. Um, it had, It's come to my attention lately uh, that while the pro tour is, is working hard towards making it easier for people to tour, uh, more people are trying to tour, which in fact makes it harder for people to tour um, because it's harder to get prize money. So uh, sure. I did some quick and I did some quick analysis, but before we get to that, I'd love to hear your take on how things are compared to when you started to tour. Oh sure. So when I first started touring, pretty much night and day to the modern day, like you know, I guess player or or touring player uh there were no premier events the only premier events were national tours um and i don't remember exactly how many per year there were but there i'm i'm pretty sure there was probably about the same as there are now but it wasn't like a tour set up to where it was easy to get to these events right so it wasn't like now to where it's kind of you know you can go from California or Santa Cruz to San Francisco to Utah, something like that. They were kind of all over the place. Um, So you kind of had to make I'm looking at the 2008 schedule and the tour, there were nine events on the tour and they they went from Arizona to Kentucky, then back to California, then Oklahoma, (laughs) Minnesota, Minnesota, Missouri, then back to California, then Ohio and Massachusetts. So, yeah, they did bounce around a little bit. Yeah, they definitely bounced around, um, which made it difficult for us. So we had to we had to somehow find events in the middle of that. Now, now back in the day, also smaller events were exactly that; they were smaller. So like now, you can go to maybe a C tier somewhere and win anywhere from three hundred fifty to five hundred bucks. Back in the day, C tiers were pretty much known for two hundred fifty dollar payouts if you win. B tiers five hundred, A tiers a thousand, um, and nowadays you can find C tiers that are paying close to eight hundred dollars. You know, B tiers eight hundred dollars. Pretty much all of the all of the tournaments 
you know, a lot of these tournaments have been around for since, you know, 2006. So they're growing. People know about them, and there's a lot of people putting hard work and sweat into these tournaments. So now people who go, you know, like the modern-day touring pro, they go to these smaller events that were really small back in the day, and now these events have been around for a while, and they're able, you know, to reap some of the benefits. But it definitely back in the day, you know, 2008, 2009, it was tough, man. There was multiple times where I was on the road, and I remember specifically one time I had 10 bucks in my name, $10. That's all I had, period. <laughs> and I had one entry fee. I'll never forget it. It was it was the hitting open in Minnesota. And I think I had to borrow some money from Kale to enter into the tournament. And I ended up winning the tournament. And then the next weekend I played really well. I think it was Minnesota Majestic or something. And then I was okay for the rest of the tour. But there were multiple times. And if I, you know, was going through that struggle, I know back in there, there had to have been so many more people also going through that type of struggle. So, so as far as how does it finance? How does it feel going to a grocery store, and you've got ten bucks to your name, and you borrowed money to get in a tournament, and uh, and you really want some food, and you really want to win? How how do you get into a mindset where you can perform and eat? Well, see, and that's the thing. A lot of people probably wouldn't be able to form perform under that type of mindset, but. I'm lucky because my whole career, I've never really worried about the money. I'm super competitive, and so my I feel like my competitiveness always, you know, pretty much brought the best in me in tournaments. So it wasn't like I've never thought about it like, oh, I'm playing for, you know, rent money or I'm playing for, you know, to eat today, even though that for sure was the case. For me, I know for me, I never have ever thought of it like that. So I've been lucky enough to have that sort of mindset, just, I think, from my competitiveness, honestly. Uh, I love using the phrase lucky, um, because it's obviously not lucky. Uh, it's, it's the way that you're wired, and it's a, and in, in this case, it's a significant positive. So, but I, I do enjoy your use of the word lucky. Um, but mo- moving on, I, I apologize. I interrupted you. I don't know if you remember where you were going with that. No, I don't. I don't either. I kind of got uh, lost track. I with think. The last question. I think what you were saying was that you were uh, the ge- geography made it really tough. Payouts were much sure. lower. You were literally scraping the bottom of the barrel a few times. Um, and how is it now? Yeah, it's you know. So, of course, back in the day it was tough, but it's still tough today. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like these people have it so much better. Um, there's more players. Obviously, with the Pro Tour, I know the World Tour is gone, but it was there for a few years. And the National Tour, with all those events being here, it makes it easier. But there's more players playing. Like, there's more competi- There's more competition. You know, everybody's getting better. So, for the top tier, yeah, it's way better. You know, it's easier to make the $500 a week. Honestly, with some of these players on tour, I still don't know how they're doing it. Because <laughs> I honestly, I feel like in order to make a good living playing disc golf 
and be comfortable each week, you have to average about $500 a week. I know yep. that because I've averaged about $500 a week for my entire career, and I've played comfortably um, doing that. And so the people that I'm beating, I look down and I'm like, I don't know how you're doing it, you know? Like, it's tough. Like, they're 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 going – there's still people going through what I – when I said I had $10 to my name, I know there are people going through that. And that's just the way that it is in every sport. It's not just disc golf. Like, that's how it is, I'm sure, on the PGA Tour – there are guys that are spending so much money just to play golf and then they're missing cuts and they're not making their money back. You know, this isn't just a grind at disc golf. This is in every sport. This is what athletes have to go through in all sports. You know, basketball, you have the um, people are going overseas to make money. Like this isn't just a disc golf thing or a disc golf topic in my opinion. Uh, that, that's an interesting point because you're, you're absolutely right. you you love the the movies, um, the baseball movies that romanticize playing in the minor leagues and working your way up to the bigs. And oh yeah, uh, and that's not a glamorous life playing in the minor leagues or something like that. Those guys are, you know, those guys are staying in crappy hotels and they're getting they're not getting paid a lot and they're just playing to maybe get that call up to the majors. And then even if they get that call up. You know they have to perform. If they don't perform, they're back down, and they're never going to be called up again. So it's exactly, it's every sport. And, and then they have yeah, a life choice to sport. make. Exactly. So yeah. The interesting thing is, though, uh, in in baseball, there's uh, you know 32 teams, and there's uh, I don't know how many guys are on each team. I would guess somewhere in the order of 20. So there's you know there's six, seven hundred guys making a great living playing baseball, and there's there's probably five or six thousand who are scraping and grinding, trying to make that great living. Um, sure. In disc golf, we have five people making a good living and 25 right. that are grinding. I, sure, 25 that are grinding. And I have to point out something that I didn't point out that is way different from earlier days as well. Is not only are we making better money, the top players making better money at the tournament, but our sponsors are helping us out significantly more. Like it's not even close, right? To where. Now, I say that I'm averaging $500, you know, a week playing disc golf, or that's what I want to average. That's happening, plus I'm getting a lot of help financially from my sponsors, from my main sponsors. And that was the point that I wanted to get to next, was in order for disc golf, I feel like, to move forward, especially with all the um, media-based stuff that's happening, uh, I think I just saw that, you know, Jomez and Central Coast, like they're they're. I think Jomez just hit a hundred thousand viewers. Is that right, or something like that? Uh, they they just they eclipsed seventy thousand subscribers a little while ago. Subscriber, okay. And, uh, so maybe that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And so with some stuff like that happening in other sports, let's let's uh, let's say like skateboarding or something, because I was me and my brother have been involved with those kind of sports too in my life. My brother would go to a tournament and write the. And he would get first place, let's say, in like a best trick contest and win $500, right? And this is against the best, you know, BMXers in the world. Those yeah. guys aren't making money in the tournament. Those guys are making money from Pepsi, from all those other endorsement um, deals that they're getting. I think that's where disc golf, if you want to make a lot of money in disc golf, it's not going to be from the payouts because. You know, that's putting a lot of stress on the tournament directors. Like, how are you going to 
like you guys are doing a great job with the Pro Tour, obviously making each turn and things like that. But to get to the next level of 20,000, like that's insane. Both yes, it's, it's a big step. And, uh, yeah, and where are you going to get that money, right? And so, and then why even bump it up? What are you going to get out of it to pay more money? Have a certain that you can cap in a tournament. And so I think as far as the athlete goes, in order for us to make more money than that, like even bump it up higher, it has to come from the sponsors. It can't come from the tournament. Uh, when you say to bump it up higher, you're saying to bump up the number of pros that are touring. I'm saying, no, I'm just saying to bump up how much the top players are making. Oh, okay. So one thing that the Pro Tour has done uh, very uh, on, on purpose um, is we've flattened payouts quite a bit. If you look at sure. the um, the top payout, it's, it's sat around between three and five thousand dollars for probably close to a decade. Um, yep. And if for for national tour and pro tour events, I mean. But the difference now is that if you get last cash at a pro tour event, you're making three hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars, whereas right. a decade ago you used to make a hundred. And right. what and that we're doing that purposefully so that thirtieth place has a legit chance at cashing and making enough so that they can stay on the road, build their brand, yep. build their sponsors, um, maybe get some sponsorship discs and then go out and sell them and, you know, and, and make that grind a little bit easier and build their fan base. Yes. So um, that's when you say, uh, you know, if we bump it up to, tw- you know, instead of adding 10,500, we add 20,000, uh, Realistically, the top would get a little bit of that money, but the guy in thirtieth would get a much higher bump uh, than than the guy in first. Right, right, exactly. And, it, right, that, and when the, you're making and, when you're making four hundred and you bump it up to six hundred, that difference is significant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you know, and then the top person, when they of course they're going to make a little bit more money, but when there's that much money involved, competition is going to get better, of course. Because these people are going to be able to maintain. There's been so many people, Steve, just in my career that I've seen that have been so talented and so good at disc golf, but they had a couple bad events and they couldn't stay out there, you know? they Like, we couldn't see them develop as a player. Um, and it could have been just from a couple bad breaks, you know what I mean? That's not just because they, they came out and they couldn't handle it. Like, it it could be, you know, a couple bad rolls here and there and then all of a sudden they don't they can't afford to be out there i've seen that time and time again in just you know the 10 years that i've been touring so all that is going to help competition is going to get better um the top tier is going to start making a little bit more money and and then they're going to still be beating everybody and their sponsors are going to want to pay them more to do that (laughs) absolutely and i did an analysis four or five years ago um about the number of people that cashed at NTs, and then disappeared. Uh, and you're 100% right. It's it's a very high, or it used to be, a very high turnover rate for yeah. for players. They, they would go out and compete for maybe a year or two and then say, okay, this is not 
I, you know, I'm, I'm either not quite good enough or, as you said, you know, I, I had a couple, a, a couple of seeing squirrels that got away from me. And next thing you know, they're, you know, you're back home and you're, you're doing the career thing. So, yeah. uh, what I, what I've heard is number one, the geography made it significantly easier to tour. And then, uh, number two, while payouts have gone up some, uh, it seems like that's basically a push with how much harder it is to win these days just because of the increased size of the field. So the thing that's making up the difference for you and probably a lot of other players are the sponsors. Uh, and my guess is that the sponsors are stepping up because there's more eyeballs watching the players. So right. your Prodigy cares more that Paul Ulibarri is wearing Prodigy because more people are watching Paul Ulibarri succeed. Absolutely, absolutely, um, and Perfect. and you know, and that's and that's because of uh, Joe Mez and Central Coast getting that out to the viewer. I have people call me just from home and say, "Hey, you know, are you going to be on Central Coast? Are you going to be on Joe Mez? When are you going to be on there? Can, how do I tune in? You know, Smashbox. All these things are different avenues for us to you know be seen in the public eye. And without that, you know, we're nothing. We're we're pretty much nothing." Yeah, media is a is a critical component and was was baked in from the start with the pro tour, um, and then and with the national tour, it's something that uh, it was tried. We tried to develop it and it didn't work so good, and then uh, we're trying to get back into it. And it's nice to see. I think the national tour is committed to having uh, at least FPO one and MPO one covered at all of the national tour events, which which is a really right. nice step. And Absolutely. the more Absolutely. the more video of you guys succeeding, the more your sponsors will care. It's uh, it's almost a little bit like uh, I think it was Radiohead uh, released their album for free back a decade ago, maybe two decades now. And their thinking was, we don't, we're not worried about making money off the album. We make money off of touring. And yeah. the the pro players, correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, we'll make some money off of touring, but what we'll really do is building our brand so that we can go do clinics and we can get a, a better sponsorship and we can we can make money because we have a name from the pro tour. Right. That's well. That's the dream. Like that's what we you know build your brand and then people will want you want you to to teach them and to give those clinics and to you know whatever it is if you're selling your own brand of shirt like if people don't know who you are. Nobody's gonna buy that shirt. And <laughs> even you know, though, how even doing. if you have a cool logo. Even if you have a really cool logo, exactly. So, uh, Paul, do you have logo contests with other players and and try to try to tell them how much cooler your logo is than others? No, I was lucky. Uh, you know, Jerem designed my logo, and you know, I've been told multiple times that I I have one of the better logos in disc golf. So I got really lucky to where I don't think. It's even a contest. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll make a, a, logo, a player logo bracket contest. I think that would be really fun. I'm actually going to write that down fun. for Seth. Um, All right. Player logo bracket. So uh, overall, it sounds like, and I, to be honest, going into this conversation, uh, I did not know which direction you were going to fall. Um, when I did my analysis in 2008, um, factoring out all of the other divisions, uh, just going with MPO, average payout was about $1,000 per 1,000-rated player at the tournament. 
So if an event had 20 MPO, 1,000 rated MPO guys, the payout was about $20,000. And right. today, again, factoring out FPO and the other divisions, we're actually below $900 uh, per 1,000 rated MPO player. So competition huh. has gotten stiffer than – competition has grown faster than payouts have grown. And right, my right, con- right. my concern, which I believe is valid, is while we're doing a lot to grow the payouts and, and trying to get the media exposure up, is it enough? Or is it the fact that there's so many fish in the water now, it's actually hard to get enough to eat? And, uh, yeah, I'm, and not, said, I'm not sure be- because with the growth of these professionals, with all these thousand-rated players coming up, you you got to think, like, Per thousand rated player, how many amateurs are there? How many like even recreational players are there? It has it has to be growing the same. Like you're not just going to find these thousand rated players. Every single player on the planet can't just be a thousand rated player. You know. <laughs> so that's a it, great way to think of it. Because now now that instead of having twenty thousand rated players, we're having fifty. And what that means is that there's that many more people to watch. Right, exactly, uh, that are just playing, is, that it could be a fan, that could be, you know, watching those YouTube clips, coming out and watching live. Uh, and, I mean, that that goes without saying. You go to any course, if you've been playing a while, you go to any course and there are triple the amount of people in just probably the last four years playing uh, just recreational. That, yeah, we, sure. we've, seen, we've seen at least a doubling at Maple Hill, which, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's good news. Um, good news for me. I'm I'm really happy to hear that answer uh, rather than uh, thinking we have to shut the doors because we're not actually doing our mission statement of making a sustainable tour. And to make a sustainable tour, number one, we have to not lose money. But number two, the players have to not lose money because right. without the players succeeding, we're not going to have a tour. So. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to hear that uh, we are helping to provide a platform on which you can you can succeed. Absolutely, and we and we are very thankful for it. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, um, and and you you and many other touring pros uh, are very good at at saying thank you, and it uh, it's part of the reason that I do things. To be honest, uh, I I like to succeed. I like to push the envelope. But I also like people that uh, that I'm trying to help and, and make life better for. Uh, you know, it's nice to be recognized. So I genuinely appreciate hearing that from you. Now, you've been on tour for a dozen years. Um, yep. You've hung out with. Uh, you've probably hung out with uh, Schwaberger. You've hung out with Coling. Uh, you've hung out with Anton. You've hung out with Macbeth. Um, can you tell me uh, an entertaining story that has happened at any time throughout your career? It could be during a tournament. It could be during a drive to a tournament. Um, I, sure. Yeah, the, sure. I, any, you know, you you I want to hear, I wanna hear something. I have, yeah, I have a pretty good story. Um, a few years back, I was playing with Anton, uh, lead card up in, uh, what, what was it, the mother load. And... Uh-huh. Playing on a lead card, playing with this guy. I won't mention his name, so I'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus. But <laughs> this guy was having a tough putting round, and I believe he was putting with like an old warlock or something like that. It was a gateway putter, whatever it was. 
and he was just whining the whole round. And me and Anton are sitting there, we're playing, and this guy just won't stop whining, missing putts, missing putts. So we're at one side of the basket getting ready to putt out. We're in the middle of the tournament, and this guy's about 30 feet, and he misses it, hits off the top of the basket, and it ends up like five feet away or something. And, and Josh has like a 30-footer, and this guy starts whining again. Josh walks up, grabs the putter, goes back to his lie, puts it from 30 feet, makes it, puts it back where it was and says, it ain't a putter, buddy. This putter works fine. <laughs> and, that, and that was in the middle of the tournament. It was in the middle of the tournament. So Josh, Josh grabs his putter. Yeah, he grabs the putter, walks over to his lie, makes the putt. Goes back, throws it on the ground, and goes, it ain't the putter, dude. <laughs> and that was one of the funniest, you know, that was one of the funniest things I've seen. And Josh has a lot of stories like that, but he's he's entertaining. Um, he does things like that just subtly that are just hilarious, you know. It's the kind of thing that everybody would like to do, and Josh apparently has the cojones to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. That is a beautiful story. Thank you. I'm very yeah, glad I asked yeah. that question. Yeah. Um, and with that, I will say thank you very much, Paul. Um, and I wish okay. you the best of luck during uh, during your league night tonight. I appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me. And if you guys need me on for for anything else, you know, I'm, I'm always volunteering my time. So I appreciate what you guys do, and I'm happy to be on tonight. Thank you, Paul. Best of luck. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's time to do uh, a quick, oh, logos. That's a good reminder. I need to talk to Seth about uh, about having a logo bracket challenge. I think that would be very fun. So, and if anybody's seen Yuli's logo, it is a it is classic, very clean, uh, distinguishable, and uh, uh, yeah, easily to easy to distinguish and uh, definitely looks nice and classy. So, go and talk about the Utah Open. First off, uh, Talk about being treated right. Holy, holy bajolies. Um, I think we got there on Tuesday night, three days before the tournament, and Jade had a an amazing cookout. Um, lot of, actually, it was catered. It was sort of a catered cookout. Um, uh, pork, green beans, potatoes, uh, coleslaw, salad. Oh, actually, no, the salad was the next night uh, with uh, cobbler and ice cream. And there were probably 30 or 40 players there, and it was a really nice way to hang out and just sort of get into the mood of the tournament. And then Wednesday, we go and do a whole bunch of setup, and lo and behold, Jade does it again. Um, this time, more food, um, more sides, more bread, and more cobbler choices. We actually had cobbler again, but instead of peach, I think we did strawberry. Uh, it was absolutely Maybe it wasn't. I don't know what it was. Cranberries? Do people do cranberry cobbler? Anyway, uh, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, and then the next day, I think we went home and we ate leftovers because uh, the guy encouraged us to take anything that was left over, and we did. So uh, Jade also uh, set us up and a lot of the players up with uh, great deals on condos. Um, on the course, all of the staff were super-duper nice. Um, I think Team Utah is trying to uh, trying to take Southern Hospitality, the claim for Southern Hospitality, away and move it up to Utah. They they went above and beyond. It was 
fantastic. Um, we asked the players what they thought of the event afterwards, and 11 of the 12 players said it was a nine, uh, a five. <laughs> 11 of the 12 players said it was a five out of five. And uh, that's, it was, it was phenomenal. One of the, one of the best events, uh, the hospitality was above and beyond. I, I can't thank those guys enough. Um, also, we had a nice little player pavilion after the round. Um, last year, after the Utah Open, uh, all of the fans just took off. And, uh, and we, were, we had the festival there. We were all set up, ready to vend. And everybody just walked out. It seemed like, like the pants were on fire with how fast they walked out. This year, we had a, had a birthday cake. Uh, we had a little player pavilion. And uh, a lot of people stopped and, uh, and engaged. And, and things, things went much better. Um, and actually, I think we'll try to keep, keep that player pavilion going, um, doing the same thing at Deglo, presuming the park allows us to do that kind of thing. And uh, if that happens, maybe that'll just become a, another aspect of the tour is after the rounds on Friday and Saturday, or at least Saturday, um, you can stop by and meet the players and talk to them and, and uh, shake their hand and get, get some signatures. So uh, great job by Jaden Crew. Um, Tip of the tuft. So also another another exciting aspect of the Utah Open for the second time we had uh, we had same day shot by shot coverage of the ladies. Um, let's see if I can remember all the ladies that did. And then the FPO uh, coverage was commentated by two FPO players uh, the first day. Tina Stenitis and Jessica Weiss uh, did it. The second day was uh, Colleen Thompson and Lisa Fakus. And then the last day was Paige Bjorkus and Amy Vrana. Um, and they all did a phenomenal job. Uh, it's great to get their names out there and get people knowing a little bit more about these people. They can't help it, but express their personalities when they do that commentary. So more and more people are, uh, are becoming aware of them. I think we had... Uh, Concurrent, oh, well over 1,000, I think almost 1,700 concurrent viewers, which is actually almost exactly what we got at San Francisco. But we did better on the first two days at Utah. So uh, hopefully more and more people are getting used to the idea that we're going to have same day, shot by shot edited coverage the hour before the men go off. And then we have the 15 minute Circle Zero show. And then there go the men. So, um, I, I've got to say uh, a, an extra shout out to Chad on the camera. Uh, he did two rounds every day. Uh, Trent uh, also on the camera and editing some some beautiful intros to the women's coverage. Um, Dixon added a new piece that went in front of the FPO coverage. That was a, another new addition. We just keep improving and everybody's stepping up and just uh, working more efficiently and producing more. And everybody that watches the Pro Tour is the beneficiary of all of the, their amazing efforts. Uh, Terry, again, knocked it out of the park. Actually did it much more efficiently. Had Danielle helping him with the card running, um, as well as getting the women lined up to do the commentary. Uh, but he got all the editing done, added in a bunch of graphics, and uh, and got the footage ready for the women to do the live commentary on an hour prior to the men going off. So he had basically an hour and a half to two hours to turn that whole thing around. And uh, 
he does an amazing job. Um, Terry, I genuinely can't tip my tuft enough for you. Um, and uh, so lastly, I'll say uh, a big shout out to the Spirit Award winners. Um, this is something that we've always wanted to do. And uh, we we sort of did it in San Francisco. And uh, I think we did a little better job here. And I, I think we've got a system now, so we're ready to go for real. But uh, a sincere thank you to uh, Big Jim, Water Dog Jim, for, uh, for his efforts. He won the Spirit Award, uh, the Staff and Spectator Spirit Award. And congratulations to Alan Widboom, who wins this, the Spirit Award on the player side two very good representatives of the culture of the disc. So thank you to them. And uh, I'm ready to get some listener questions. And uh, so if you guys have some questions that you'd like to ask or some comments, or for example, I see coverage has been great. Thank you very much. Um, feel free to ask them now. I'm going to, uh, I've got a, a couple little things that I'm gonna do like the, uh, the podcast of the week. And then I'll get back to the questions that you guys enter now-ish. So um, sometimes when I get a text from somebody, and it just happened, I got a text from Seth, Google will give me options for, uh, for automatic reply. Things like they'll say, okay, or nice, or sounds good. And it really, it, it feels weird to me because if I press one of those three buttons, am I really replying or is some sort of Google auto assist thing replying for me because it's, it says, do you, is this what you want to reply with? Um, a yes, no question. I, I guess I am, you know, sure. You can just answer yes or no, but it's, if I don't type it in, it doesn't feel like I'm replying. And it, and it's interesting to me because I, so I think to myself, I'm going to go ahead and I'll type my reply. I don't want to use one of their replies. So Google obviously tracks how I answer that question. And then um, their auto replies that they suggest become more and more like me. Like next time, if I say that's super cool in the future, they're gonna write that's super cool in one of those little bubbles. And what if they give me the exact phrase that I would normally type? Is it okay to press that button? I, I, I'm genuinely conflicted by that. Uh, and then let's pretend that I do click that button and then I enter on that slippery slope where I'm using the auto replies and I can't help but wonder, I would use those more and more. And at some point, Google's suggestions of auto replies would affect the way that I answer the questions. And it worries me. Those slippery slopes concern me because they, you, you, you kind of creep along and you don't even recognize where you're headed. And uh, so just, you know, if you text me, I try really hard not to use those Google options. So, and that brings me to my podcast of the day. Um, the, my podcast of the day, which I'm going to recommend to you all is called what really happened with Andrew Jenks. And the, the thought a little bit quirky, hopefully interesting, that I just put into those Google text boxes, uh, auto answer text boxes, uh, feels a little bit kind of like the deep, quirky, interesting thinking that Andrew Jenks does on his podcast. Um, he, goes, he goes deep, gets a lot of resources, and figures out something historical and why it 
why it happened the way it did. So anyway, podcast of the day, what really happened with Andrew Jenks? I highly recommend it. Very entertaining and very fun. Uh, so now I'm going to run through the listener questions. Uh, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, our, you, go, you, can, you can become a part of the live viewing audience, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern on YouTube on when, Wednesdays at 8. Let me start over. Wednesdays at 8 o'clock Eastern on, YouTube, on our YouTube channel. And uh, this is pod, podcast live. This is broadcast live. And then uh, people get to respond and we do a little bit of interaction. And here we go with that interaction. Uh, the pre-recorded interview was really good. Uh, thank you very much, Sean. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you like that. And I, I love that format. And I really think that if I can take that and put some graphs, graphics over top of it, it could be super interesting. Um, good interview. Uh, I wish I could have gone to Utah. I hear that. And uh, I will go ahead and tell you, when I landed in Utah, it's... It's a whole different. I mean, the the air is so different. It's it's dry and hot, and your body just feels wonderful in that kind of air. And then you get to the course, and you're surrounded by these majestic mountains. Uh, somebody said that one of the mountains in that region was uh, was what inspired the Paramount logo. And then also, you can look off to the off to the the horizon, and you can see the mountain that they skied down for the 2002 Olympics right there in Ogden. So. Phenomenal location. Uh, Paulo says, is there a way to see who will compete in the next event in Michigan? Do you know any good players or who, you, who will be commentating? What can you tell us about the next event? I love the question because it implies that you are interested in the next event, which is exactly what we want. So there are 144 players registered. Um, Two people are actually on the wait list and 24 women are registered and two women are on the wait list. So just doing a quick sort by rating. Uh, top players at this event, uh, Paul McBeth, Kale Laviska, Michael, uh, Michael Johansson, uh, Paul Ulibarri, Johnny McRae, James Proctor, Garrett Gerthy, Bobby Music, Jeremy Colling, Drew Gibson, Dave Feldberg, Nicolo Castro, Devin Owens, Kevin Jones, Zach Melton. Yeah, I'd say there's a... Uh, there's a lot of good players there. A lot of players have gone over to Europe, um, which which is actually interesting. Uh, we have an opportunity, uh, maybe over the next couple of events, I don't know how long they're going to be in Europe, but we have an opportunity to see some new players win events. Uh, last year at Idlewild, James Conrad beat out Paul McBeth. Super interesting finish, super exciting, and it was great to see James get his first Pro Tour win. Um so at the next couple of events, I'm looking to see uh, see some motion, some motion down in the lower levels, not the lower levels, the guys who normally finish 5th to 20th. Look for them to start making some lead card appearances and, and maybe get a win. So very exciting. Um, uh, JT O'Brien, you are absolutely correct. That's exactly where I went. I got the player list on Disc Golf Scene. It's also on PDGA.com. Uh, Coverage has been great. Thank you very much. I actually saw a comment that said, and I agree with this comment, that says we right now are nailing it. Doing the same day shot-by-shot -shot coverage of the women and then Circle Zero and then live coverage of the men is probably for where we are as good as we can do. Um, we are going to make a couple little tweaks. Uh, we heard some people comment that there are too many ads. 
the really funny thing is there's the same number of ads. So what we're doing, what we did, because we lost the spliced in women, we actually split the uh, ads up. We have one ad now between the, the them holing out and the tee off, and then we have one ad after the drives. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to put those ads together again, and then we will um, only have one ad break each hole as opposed to one longer ad break, which would be two ads, as opposed to two shorter ad breaks. So hopefully that'll uh, alleviate what people believe is more ads. Um, perception is reality. So I, I get it. Um, why did you change from Vibram to MVP? Well, that's a really interesting, uh, Pops. At the time, I didn't know why we were changing, but in retrospect, I think I do. Vibram at the time probably knew they were getting out of disc golf, and uh, and they, so they said they didn't want to sponsor anymore. Uh, and uh, the next day, I called uh, Steve over at MVP, and and he was very happy to to jump into that slot. So uh, that's the reason that we changed. It was realistically we changed because Vibram got out of disc golf. Um, and I'll go ahead and say that I genuinely hope in the future they get back in. I, I think they make a, a disc that is unique to the sport and uh, and does fill a niche that many people uh, would need if they if they learn about it. Um, would Dixon and Terry be doing live coverage from the, the course at GLO? Um, Sean, I don't know if they will actually be at the course, but they will be doing live commentary nearby. Um, I appreciate Pro Tour's commitment to live coverage in the FBO. Thank you, Mike. We uh, we are genuinely committed to live, and I I think long term live is going to be the uh, the future of our sport, um, along with some nice event recaps. Uh, Jomez and Central Coast are killing it; they're knocking it out of the park, doing a great job in uh, in bringing people into watching disc golf. So we are actually we have a, a actually a very good symbiotic relationship right now. No auto reply. Don't succumb to the dark side. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I will continue to try to fight that battle. I wonder if there's an option to turn that off. Um, I don't. Andrew, who didn't catch the last name? I don't know what that's in reference to. Um, were the baskets at the last event the new Prodigy baskets or the original ones? Uh, those were, in fact, the T2. I believe the significant difference is that the outer chains are lighter and the discs can go into them easier. So. Uh, that and from from what I heard, people liked those baskets significantly better. Is the attempt of the DGPT a year-round tour, and is there a championship? Uh, I would say no. The, the attempt is not to be a year-round tour. We want to be probably late February, early March through middle of October. Uh, long term, I could see it spreading maybe to the end of October. But I, November, January, February, I think that the players need some time off. Uh, everybody needs a vacation and uh, recoup time. And, and realistically, if you're playing every other week at a high level, um, having seven days to travel and investigate a new course and recuperate mentally and physically, that is not an easy lifestyle. So uh, these guys get a chance to see the country. They get a chance to interact with their fans, but they are working and they are grinding. And no, I don't want to go 12 months. So, uh, and in answer to your question, yes, there is a tour championship. It is currently the middle of October, uh, two weeks after USDGC and one week after Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't mind the ads because what else are you going to watch? Um, you could always watch Shaky Cam. Look at looking at Greater Lakes Open, the Discraft Great Lakes Open. 
What are your top five MPO and top three FPO? Well, I said last week that I don't do picks. So uh, obviously I'm not gonna do picks. Uh, top five, looking at the uh, registration on the Greater Lakes Open, uh, you, you, gotta, you gotta figure Kale Laviska and Michael Johansson are gonna do well because it's a, a wooded course. Paul McBeth's gonna do well because he's Paul McBeth. Uh, I would look at James Conrad is probably doing very well. And uh, in my opinion, someone like Kevin Jones or Grady Shue is going to show up and shock us. I think uh, I think it's time for them to step up and at least finish in the top five, if not, as Jamie Thomas of Ulti World says, podium. So, uh, oh, and on the women's side, let's see what we got on the women's side. Do do do. Oh, oh, Ragna is going to be there. So you got Sarah, Sarah Holcomb, Ragna, uh, Ragna Bigda. Jessica Weiss, Madison Walker, Paige Bjorkus. You know what's interesting? I'm going to go ahead and say I think it's uh, I think Paige Bjorkus is going to surprise everyone and be in the hunt for the win. Maybe that won't surprise everybody. Sarah Holcomb is going to be very comfortable in those woods. Ragna, I think, lives relatively close, so she's always going to be in contention. Um, and it'll be great to see uh, Rebecca Cox and Madison Walker on tour again. So uh, what are your thoughts on having a sideline reporter in a booth in future, uh, in future more funded events? Uh, I agree with that entirely. I was actually talking to, uh, to someone earlier today about our, our dream team or dream uh, broadcast, and it was exactly that. Um, and I might go so far as to say in an ideal world, if money wasn't an issue, I'd have a roaming camera that could cover second card or if someone's making a run from third card, as well as another commentator on that card as well. So uh, with that, thank you all very much. We are going to close this out, and I look forward to talking to you all next week. Good night.